Hello and welcome to Council for Unplugged. This is the podcast of our Council for APSME Union. We're headquartered in New Britain, Connecticut, and we are proud to represent more than 29,000 workers across the great state of Connecticut. And today we're going to be taking a look at an important effort to improve workers' health within the Connecticut prison system. So I'm pleased to introduce Sara Namazi, and Sara is an assistant professor of gerontology and health sciences at Springfield College. Uh, also with us is correction officer Colin Provost, who also serves as the president of AFSME Local 391, and Local 391 represents uh, correction officers and other frontline uh, prison employees uh, throughout Northern Connecticut. And we also have with us uh, another correction officer and uh, AFSME Local 391 steward, Stan Suddit. So want to welcome you all. I also want to introduce Renee Hamill, my colleague at Council 4. Renee, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Glad to be here with all of you. Great. Uh, So let's get right into it. Um, I guess the first question I have is that the the correction working environment um, has high rates of injury and mental health stressors, as we've seen. Uh, How does this collaborative project address the problem and what importance will it hold for our correctional staff? And, and maybe the, the preface to that is you can explain actually what this working group is about and what it hopes to accomplish. Thank you, Larry. Um, I wanted to just introduce myself real quickly. I'm uh, Sara Namazi and I'm a researcher with the Center for the Promotion of Health in the New England Workplace or CPH New. Um, CPH New is a center of excellence for total worker health, and it's funded by the National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health. And we've been funded by NIOSH since 2006. And um, there are six uh, national centers of excellence in total worker health, and we are one of them. We're based out of UMass Lowell and um, University of Connecticut, uh, University of Connecticut and um, UConn Health. And so I'm part of a CPH new study called HITECH. Many of you have heard of this before. Um, HITECH stands for Health Improvement Through Employee Control Study. It's also known as the Yukon DOC study. Uh, and it's an intervention study led by Dr. Martin Cherniak that um, addresses correctional employee health and well-being. And we've partnered with um, Connecticut DOC for over 15 years now. And what we do at at the heart of this project is something known as participatory action research. And I'm not gonna go into the, you know, the details of this type of research, but really what it's about is um, we engage frontline workers, like correctional workers in in, um, identifying root causes to health and safety concerns in the workplace. And then um, these frontline workers Uh, design, implement, and evaluate health and safety initiatives. Um, So it harnesses this partnership between researchers and members of an organization and identifying, you know, barriers to health and and uh, safety practices in the the workplace and addresses those factors. So um, going back to your question, Larry, uh, so we've learned through our research, through high-tech research, that Um, Correctional workers are at an increased risk for chronic health conditions, chronic health diseases. So we see high rates of hypertension, obesity, depression, and other health-related issues that start early in employment and continues throughout employment. 
So, um, and so we address these, these um, health disparities that we call um, by forming, one of our main initiatives is that we form design teams. And so these teams are consist of frontline workers that um, work together to identify root causes to health and safety concerns. Um, and it's nothing better than having the workers themselves identify these root causes because they're, they know their workplace the best. And our role is really just to pr provide these teams, these design teams, um, with the tools they need um, to address health and safety concerns and to come up with innovative way of addressing them. Um, we have a num uh, many different evidence-based tools that have been developed through our center that we train design team members to use. And we currently have three design team members in, in, in Connecticut, three design teams in Connecticut. Um, we have one that's based out of AFSME Local 391 called the 391 Ambassadors. And so Colin, myself, Stan, Stan is the facilitator of that, of that design team. And we'll talk a little bit more about what we are doing to address mental health. We have a facility-based design team that's based out of Manson Youth. And we also have a supervisor-led design team uh, known as the uh, CSEIS Correctional Supervisors Council design team. And all of these teams are working on addressing mental health. Um, they've been working on, on, on uh, health and safety initiatives around again, mental health, family-related issues, sleep, um, healthy eating, fitness, peer support. And really the importance here, Larry, is that you know, these design teams are, are made up of frontline workers who know their workforce the best. They're designing initiatives, you know, that these initiatives are being designed by peers for peers. Interesting. Yeah, thank you, Sarah. Um, sounds like a really interesting um, research program, um, especially the fact that it is participatory based. Um, the next question is for Colin. Um, why did your union embrace this project uh, and what do you hope to see come out of it? So it's a, an interesting dynamic that we came to. Um, I first want to thank you guys for, for having us. Uh, this is really important to us to get this message out. Um, the, the project was conceived out of previous pitfalls that we had. Um, Dr. Cherniak had reached out to me and asked me, um, came to Local 391 and sat with me in the, in we discussed uh, the desires of the steering committee that he was on to start a design team at Local 391. Um, we had been a part of previous design teams and we wanted to avoid the same red tape and brick walls from the agency uh, while also assuring the participants that this research project would be born from the members. Uh, the solution we came up with was first we needed to identify a group of motivated employees that would represent the members of Local 391. And we as Corrections Union represent more than just correction officers. We also represent many different specialized professions, including industry supervisors, which oversee our correctional enterprises, our kitchen supervisors, uh, known as correctional food service supervisors, who supervise inmates and provide the daily menu for several thousand inmates, um, correctional maintenance staff, licensed in many different skills, such as HVAC, electrical, plumbing. Um, so we decided that we needed to embrace all of our different correctional professionals uh, that we represented and to be sure that all of them were at the table, at least invited to be part of this new design team. Um, together, uh, you know, Dr. Cherniak and I looked to seek uh, motivated individuals who would be willing 
to take a little bit of their time to meet in a centralized location um, to discuss solutions of correctional professionals of, to improve their health and wellness. Um, the other challenges we seek to overcome were that of logistics. Most of our people uh, work different shifts, rotating days off, uh, multiple facilities. Uh, so when discussing this with Dr. Cherniak, we believe that we needed to use um, different correctional backgrounds to meet together and to be able to meet together off facility grounds um, where they could feel open and discuss the issue that uh, were presented to them on a daily basis. Uh, this group would then be tasked with identifying what impacted their health and wellness and then move uh, towards a, a goal and a solution. Uh, the rest of the history, um, the ambassadors were born and has been collaborating with Dr. Namazi, Dr. Cherniak, and the steering committee for over a year and throughout the pandemic. Uh, the team originally was comprised of about 10 members from different uh, profession, uh, correctional professional areas. Um, and uh, Stan Suddeth was chosen as their team facilitator who uh, we've been introduced here already. Um, so the uh, original question of what do we hope to see come of it? We hope to see the solution uh, to the, the identified root causes of the uh, stressors that they, they see on a daily basis inside the institutions from the many different professions that we represent. Yeah, it seems like a really great partnership. Um, Stan, you're on the front lines of public safety working in a prison. It's a tough and dangerous job. Um, we'd like to hear from you how you see this project helping you and your coworkers in the correctional institutions. Well, first of all, I'd like to say um, the project has been uh, instrumental um, for myself and other coworkers. One is giving us a sense of purpose and a voice. Also has allowed us to um, pretty much meet with uh, top administrators, such as the deputy commissioners, the DAs, wardens, uh, the director of human resource and uh, others. Also um, with that being said, um, a lot, of the, a lot of the interventions that came up, it came up through um, talking to um, first-line workers and um, asking them about their experiences, what they thought, you know, could change, um, also what would be better. Um, one of the things, too, that we discussed, we looked at some of the issues that um, we have doing this job. And I'm sure you heard that, you know, um, a lot of times corrections, you know, is the forgotten about. So we get to be that voice. And some of the things that we focused on when we came up with these interventions, we looked at um, we looked at report writing, we looked at a lack of peer support, and we looked at trauma. Um, we came up with our own um, mental health awareness um, module, which we've uh, been um, actually um, doing in uh, McDougal. So some of the things that it addressed was uh, you know depression, obesity, hypertension. We also looked at the issues that come with um, just the daily report writing um, when it comes to um, writing that report. And, you know, we came up with a module for as report writing where it will help reduce some of the stress when it comes to writing a report, um, helps reduce some of the kickback. And also when it comes to the legal part of report writing, a lot of times, which I had to explain to upper administration, they may get this report. Um, incident report, but they don't understand that sometimes the stress that comes with it from also, you know, having to write this report, but also have to still carry out your daily operations and, you know, having to 
having to write this incident report. You still got the phone ringing. You're still addressing issues within the um, within the um, facility. A lot of times, depending on where you work at, the individual isn't even removed from the area in which the incident occurred. And that's some of the things that we talked about. We focused on, you know, trauma. I use an example of when a police officer is involved in an incident, he's usually taken away from that incident and, you know, allowed to, um, say, write the report in the office or in his car away from the incident. But a lot of times officers that may be involved in a cold, they have to write that, have to, they have to finish that report in that, in the incident, which, um, where it occurred. So a lot of times they're reliving, reliving that same occurrence, you know, over and over. So it's those little things. And we also talk about, um, again, when it, when, when you're involved in the code, just, um, being able to decompress some of the things that we were looking at is, um, creating a decompression room where, you know, it gives those individuals time after an incident, you know, to have a debrief, to decompress. We realize that a lot of those things are important and sometimes gets, uh, overlooked in what we do. We, um, focus also on, um, peer support. We realize that, um, with that, there's a there's a lack of peer support um, in our um, agency, so we're looking to bridge that gap along with uh, other uh, departments um, and being the uh, frontline um, leaders. So we also came up with um, a facility training officer program. What we looked at was, um, and I kind of took this model from police officers where they have field training officers program. So we looked at having facility, we're working on and implementing this in a pilot program at McDougal right now where we're looking to have facility training officers. And what we looked at, what we call the work life, the work life involves everything, what it takes, you know, to, to pretty much have a successful career from start to finish. And some of the things that we looked at, we addressed, of course, what we already talked about, um, mental health, physical health. We looked at financial literacy. We also looked at um, um, resiliency. Um, we looked at, um, whatchamacallit, we looked at uh, peer support, which we talked about. And, um, and we also looked at, um, what else? That's, that's what I can remember off the top of my head. But definitely, as you can see, it's definitely been a big improvement. One, like I said, and Sarah already repeated, and I say this again, when we actually do our modules, this a lot of this stuff was created for us by us with the input of the frontline workers, for the frontline workers. And this definitely could not, you know, be could, could not move forward if we don't have the help of the administration. And it's nice to be able to sit down at the table as a frontline officer and, you know, and sit with the deputy commissioner and, you know, talk about some of the issues and how we can make the agency, you know, better for us all. You are listening to Council 4 Unplugged, our AFSCME Council 4 Union podcast. I'm Larry Dorman with my partner, Renee Hamill, and we are talking about uh, an important issue of worker safety, occupational health and safety. Our guests are Sara Namazi. She's an assistant professor specializing in occupational health and gerontology at Springfield College. We also have AFSCME 391 leaders and correction officers, Colin Provost and Stan Suttet. Uh, Sarah, I wanted to turn it back to you. It was just great to hear from frontline workers how this process is playing out and how it will impact them. Where are you in the process right now? I know you discussed it a little bit at the beginning, but um, how much more work is there to be done? And what do you see um, as some potential and positive outcomes from the work you're doing? 
Thank you, Larry. Um, so we, we, uh, what we do is, um, in terms of this process, so we, we train design teams in using our, our tools. So we have um, evidence-based tools that we've developed through our center. And we have a, um, a program called the Healthy Workplace Participatory Program Online Toolkit. And it's designed specifically to help employers or, and organizations adopt and implement a total worker health program approach. So we train design teams to use this toolkit. Um, in terms of the design team I work with, um, we've been training staff. Stan has been trained in, in, in using this toolkit. And um, the, it allows you to identify. It, it has a, there's a specific tool called the um, Ideas tool. And it allows you to um, identify, it helps this design team to go through several steps um, to come up with a um, intervention that addresses um, health and well-being, safety in the workplace. And um, this team, um, the 391 ambassadors, we, um, we've gone through the ideas tool. We've, we've identified root causes to mental health stressors. We've um, gone through um, the, the, you know, the, I can actually send you a link to this program so that people could see this toolkit. Um, and we are now at a point where we're implementing interventions that we've designed using this toolkit. So as Stan mentioned, we've done a, we're doing a mental health training um, that, that we've designed. We um, worked on improving, you know, coming up with better ways to train staff on report writing and also a fiscal facility um, training officer program, which is very similar to a peer mentoring, peer support program, but it has other types of components and Stan could add to that much better than I could <laughs> since he sort of, he let, he's led this, this um, design of this program. So we're at the stage of implementing our interventions and um, what we do as a, so as a researcher, what, what I, what we do, high tech does, we provide these tools, but also we help, you know, we advise these teams and we study the process by which, you know, these teams implement these interventions. Um, and we're also help them develop surveys to assess whether the interventions worked. Well, the study seems like it's coming at um, a unique time as far as um, something that we've been working on for a while, which is to pass legislation that would include um, correction officers and post-traumatic stress um, making it compensable on a limited basis under workers' compensation. Um, so this just passed this legislative session. Um, and we want to know, um, hear from you, how do you see this in the context of your current study? And what role does the government have to play in all of this? Well, I think one of the things that they would have to understand that, the um, again, the life expectancy of the average correction officer is um, 59 um, they would have to understand that what we go through far as, again, trauma, like when I talked about it before, our trauma, when you, again, when you talk about, you, we, you know, you have assaults, you see, you know, other inmates assault other inmates, you see staff get assaulted. And some of these assaults can be very heinous. I mean, I've seen one assault where uh, another inmate took a, a hot pot and uh, pretty much uh, you swung it around and hit the inmate on top of the head, which, you know, caused, you know, concussion, bleeding and everything else. And the average person isn't used to that. And again, you have to understand that 
like I said before, I end up having to work back in that same area. So again, what may be normal isn't normal. So, you know, we tend to normalize a lot of things. So when you talk about accumulative stress that we go through, you know, every day, that hypervigilance that, you know, we experience, you know, every day from the job that we take home, you know, it doesn't just because, you know, you take off the uniform doesn't mean that, you know, that it doesn't mean that everything stops. I mean, when you're, when you're in your car, when you're in your neighborhood, when you're in the re- in, um, restaurant, you know, these are those things that, you know, you have to be aware of. So again, when you're t- talking about, you know, PTSD, it isn't, it is important to understand again, that, you know, we, we experience it. And if you, and the studies also show that, you know, it's, it also, we also experience just as much as a, um, a veteran that served in Iraq and Afghanistan. It actually, if you think about it, it's more. And I can speak personally being a vet, a veteran and serving in Afghanistan and Iraq. So, you know, I had the experience of being a correction officer and a military veteran. So I can say that, yes, I definitely did experience things over there. But when you talk about the accumulative stress and what we deal with, you know, day in and day out, you know, once those doors slam and you don't know what your day is going to turn turn into, you don't know when you're responding to that code, what, you know, what you're running into. So to um, have a bill that, you know, includes, uh, you know, the correction staff or, you know, correction officers or how you want to look at anyone that pretty much works in the agency, I think that it is important to include us in that. Thanks, Dan. Colin, I wanted to throw this at you. So, you know, we've heard from, obviously, from Sara and, and from Stan about um, all the different components of, of, of this approach. How do you, as the president of Vassal Local 391, as a correction officer, how do you see this ultimately helping your members down the line? How do you see it helping all frontline prison employees? Well, I, I think we, we hope the solution uh, would be a program that would allow um, individuals to have ways to de-stress from situations and have opportunities then that would allow them um, to have a better life outside of their job so that these stressors that they do have and they have traumatic incidents don't roll over into other parts of their life. Um, I know, you know, Stan was referring to an incident um, being corrections officers. We see these incidents on a regular basis of random acts of violence that you wouldn't see in normal public situations. And the rate that we see them at is much higher than, um, you know, regular populations. Um, and we do know that there is an, an after effect um, to these traumatic incidents that you see and you witness. Um, and being a direct line person that witnesses uh, a traumatic incident, to have to stay on the same position for the rest of the eight hours that you're there, maybe another eight if you're drafted, and then when you come back the next day to start your shift, you go right back into that same area, that same unit. As Stan was saying before, if you compare it to what happens with a police officer when they see a traumatic incident, they may come offline for a couple of weeks and work a desk job. We don't have that opportunity. We're put right back in the same block over and over again. Um, so that stressor continues to be relived by the individual, um, whatever that impact or that traumatic uh, injury may be. Interesting. Thanks, Colin. Um, 
correctional employees, they work in such a tough and dangerous environment. And I can definitely see, I mean, I don't have that experience, but I can see how it can become a place, I'm sure, where there is a lack of hope and, and um, it can be scary, you know, thinking about how can these be, things be changed. Um, and I think it's great that this project includes correctional employees, um, empowering them to gather the information so that, you know, there can be things that will be changed down the line to help improve health outcomes. Um, but I was wondering how you think, um, this is for everybody, how you think this project and a total worker health approach can help all workers to cope with mental health issues, not just correctional employees? Well, I think the, uh, the first thing to, to note was that the, the partnership with the unions on this type of project only makes sense. Um, take all the technical data that we have amounted here and all the research, it's uh, motivated in improving employee health and wellness. Um, when we look at it, uh, who better than the union to seek for assistance in this? They have been improving the workers' health since their inception. We believe we can continue to collaborate um, on new and definitive solutions using real data. Um, it's very exciting for a researcher to have the opportunity to lead and guide a team of motivated union rank and file members. Uh, as Stan being a rank and file member, me being a rank and file member and having uh, Dr. Namazi to help guide us um, in, in her extreme motivation for what we do. Uh, it's been a really good collaborative effort and, and we seek for that to continue in the future. And, and hopefully the solution and the results of all of the study and the work and the data that's been collected uh, does turn out a better long-term uh, uh, health and wellness for corrections professionals uh, across the country. I agree with Colin. I mean, um, the union plays such an important role in correctional employee health. I mean, we see this with these union-led design teams like AFSCME, Local 391, the 391 Ambassadors. I mean, without the support of Local 391, um, you know, this team wouldn't be where it is today. Um, same with the Correctional Supervisors Council. I mean, they've embedded in within their contract a wellness day for their members. So again, you know, the, the union, this is, it just shows how important the role the union can play in addressing health and well-being of, of their staff. But I wanted to just talk a little bit, Larry, if it's okay, about total worker health. Um, so, you know, I've, I've mentioned that, um, NIOSH has funded six academic centers of excellence for total worker health. And these centers, so CPH Newark is one of those centers, and they're really hubs for total worker health related research and practices. So total worker health is this holistic way or approach to addressing safety, health, and well-being. And it's an approach that addresses the well-being of workers on and off the job. So because we know that um, on, on a worker's health isn't just affected by the working conditions, but also what's going on outside of work as well. So it starts with the focus on um, healthy working conditions and then, ex, you know, and, and extending to time outside of work as well. So, you know, our center, we, our focus really CPH, you know, our focus is to, to learn how to make workplaces safer and more health promoting and then disseminating that knowledge using education and tools but focusing on working conditions, but also things going on outside of work that can impact uh, uh, a worker's health and well-being. You know, I, I appreciate your comments, uh, Sarah, especially in the context of collective bargaining, because 
when you mentioned before about union contracts or collective bargaining agreements embedding health and safety language, uh, you know, it's interesting. People say, well, you know, the union's about getting a raise and, you know, getting benefits. And I'm proud of the fact that obviously we uh, we fight for our members to to enjoy higher wages and decent health care and a dignified retirement. But I think central to the importance of unions is giving workers the chance to weigh in on the quality of their job. You know, so it's not just about the raises or about the benefits. It's about how can we collectively make the workplace safer, better for everyone. And so I just, you know, just appreciate that comment because I think it's really hard for uh, workers who don't have the protection um, and the participation of a union to kind of um, get out in front and speak up about safety and and health and, you know, occupational health. So thank you. If I may just add, if, if if policymakers, you know, solicit the help of, you know, labor unions, they can address many of these, you know, the physical, psychosocial conditions of the work environment that are barriers to health and well-being. So I think this partnership is really key. And um, and again, I I just wanted to highlight that really the, the, these union-led teams are have just flourished and are doing so well. And um, you know. Colin has, has been such a great support and asked me local 391 has been such a great support in um, staff well-being and, and helping this uh, 391 ambassadors um, get to where they are now in addressing staff health and well-being. Great. So a big shout out to <laughs> Colin. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, listen, I want to thank Renee and I want to thank you all. This has been a, a fascinating discussion and one, quite frankly, that needs to continue. So um, we'll look forward to having all of you back as, as more of this gets implemented and put in place and you know more measurables are, are out there. Uh, but I want to thank our guest, Dr. Sara Namazi from Springfield College, AFSME uh, Local 391 uh, leaders and members, Colin Provost and Stan Sutton, and of course my colleague, Renee Hamill. Uh, you have been listening to Council 4 Unplugged, and of course we close it by saying you've been unplugged. As always, thanks for listening to our Council 4 Unplugged podcast. You can find us on all major social platforms by searching for Council 4 AFSME. Our website is council4.org. My name's Larry Dorman, and you've been unplugged.